0: How real estate works, your one stop shop for all things real estate. Whether you're looking to learn about real estate investing, buying your first house, growing as a real estate agent, and all things financial freedom related, we got you covered with co hosts Jesse Johnson and Matt Talent. Episode 3, really excited to have Tom Dilsheimer on. Tom was recognized by Compass as a top producing real estate agent in the Philadelphia region for 2019. He's known in our office as the go-to guy for new construction advice. He started out in real estate development under his family's company until the market collapse of 2008, when he transitioned to being a full-time real estate agent. Tom eventually became a founding partner of the Howe Real Estate Group. A full-service real estate partnership in the Philadelphia region. He's also a proud father of two and husband. Tom Dilsheimer.
1: <laughs> Welcome to the show, Tom.
2: Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Matt. All, all correct. All yeah. true and correct. Safety I was
1: happy here. I was fortunate enough to be at the wedding, and it was uh, fantastic. So uh, I was. I crashed best. the bachelor party.
2: <laughs> yeah, you good, did. Actually. <laughs> that was a lot of fun too. That was yeah. a good time. That was a so really good. time. You, you both bore witness. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was
1: great. Right. So Tom, you know, T, thank you for being on it's, And is it okay if I call you T? Cause I, sure. I call you, all right. Yeah. That's what your friends call you, right?
2: Yeah, it, that's true. And, and I consider you one, so you're, uh, you got the alphabet in.
1: You're sweet. All right. So but, T, you know, I know you've been in this business for a long time and you know, a simple question could be like, how did you get started in real estate? But uh, can you just tell me your like real estate backstory?
2: Hey, um, yeah. It's a long one. But. It is I I you're right. It it's uh it's Dostoevsky in length, but and not in um not in feel. It's a little more positive. Uh so I I grew up in the in the building business. My my dad and my uncle were builders. Um, it built uh like tracked housing, you know, subdivisions in the exurbs, in the suburbs and you know, around Philly. And as a little kid, um I, I grew up in that world where I would be palling around with my dad on a Saturday and we'd go visit job sites and, you know, he'd point out things that really, you know, resonate with me today. Like, hey, you see those cattails? That, that means that the site is wet because cattails need, you know, a lot of water to live. So if you see cattails on a property, you know that it's a wet site. So there were things like that that I just sort of picked up as a little kid. You know, blueprints were always around the kitchen table, so I was always curious about, you know, what was where, and I sort of learned to read blueprints at a young age. Um, As I got a little older, I worked on weekends on job sites, um, picking up trash. And then as my teenage years, I was uh, digging ditches, and uh, as a laborer hired for the summer, really understanding how a house is built and knowing what it is to – put in a full day's work uh, in the trenches and getting dirty. It gives you a lot of respect for the people that work on the job site when you're living and breathing it with them every day. And when I got out of college, um, I went right to work in the family business and I was a marketing assistant, fetching coffee for the marketing manager. A couple years later, um, I was running the marketing department a couple of years later than that. In my late 20s, I was running sales and marketing. And we were delivering 200 homes a year over four or five job sites. Um, that led to an expansion from the Delaware Valley into North Carolina and of uh, Florida, where we opened a, a couple divisions there. And, and that was going great guns until uh, 2008 when the recession hit and we lost everything. And, uh, I sort of pivoted after kind of going, Oh geez, what are we going to do now? And, um, put my, my real estate license, which I've had since 1994. I, uh, put it to use and I started working, selling real estate. And, um, I was fortunate enough to, um, have a successful second career that led me to start how and join up with Jesse and, um, and join up with compass but well,
1: yeah. i think it's really interesting tom that you went from you know basically being you know picking up trash to digging ditches you know you've you lived the entire you know cycle of of the construction business and and the real mm-hmm. estate business um very you know very impressive amount of homes that you've seen that you've seen transfer hands and uh mm-hmm. but you know you talk about the trans, you know, going from being the builder, the developer, to being a real estate agent, talk talk to us about that transition. So, two thousand
2: eight,
1: two thousand nine, it's a great time to get into the real estate business, right?
2: Right, exactly. So I, you know, I I really was kicking and screaming. I, I didn't want to be a real estate agent. Um, I um, I sort of fell back into it. Um, a friend of a friend asked for advice on their troubled new construction site and I gave it freely. And this guy said, hey, you know, I want you to help me sell my project, can you, can you do that? I said, sure, who's, you know, who's repping it? And that's literally how it happened. Uh, I worked um, to sell his project and found that my, you know, I, I had always been on the, the builder's end, always been on the sales end. So real estate agents, while they're always really important to the process, You know, for me, I never identified as a realtor. So I always thought, hey, that's not really what I want to do. You know, I'm on the building. And I realized, one, I have a lot more experience in construction and in sales from the builder's perspective than a lot of agents do. So that already gave me a leg up on competing realtors. Um, And then I realized, you know what? This is, um, you know, the experience that I have from being in the building industry for 20 years can really help me counsel buyers and prospects who are interested in new construction or otherwise. So the transition was actually a lot smoother than you would expect because I already have this this body of knowledge from being in construction and development for a couple of decades.
1: So um, as you're building your real estate business, um, what was the... You know, talk to me about like the first couple of years in the business. I mean, clearly, you 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 just said that you you brought on a uh, new construction thing, you uh, a new new construction site that you were wrapping. But how was that transition? You know, how many years did it take for you to get like you're on your feet and get get a business going?
2: It it was a couple of years, um, at least eighteen months to twenty four months, because you know you and, and and to be honest with you, when I first activated my license i was scared to death to represent buyers you know i know the listing side really well because i was in the you know the the business for so long that was no problem at all but my gosh the responsibility of making sure that you don't make a bad decision for a buyer there's a lot of jeopardy in that and so i was really um very concerned about about working as a buyer's rep um for a long time and so for a while i would only take listings but as with anything you familiar and, and really it's not a quick business. You know, you say, how long did it take you to get started? It took me 18 months or 24 months because you're planting seeds with people. You know, you you're saying, hey, I can help you. And maybe they don't need the help today or tomorrow. But if you stay in contact with them and are helpful for them in giving them market updates and where their property sits in their neighborhood or... Sending them potential listings that they might have interest in that they're going to buy. All, all of a sudden, they start to trust you, and then when it is time, you're off and running.
1: That's a slow start. A slow process. Thanks for sharing.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. So, Tom, you generate a lot of new develop like new development business for our company, and I think you're known as like the new construction guy. So. Mm. Did you already have that network in place from when you had the development company that you owned, or was it hard to grow that side of the business?
2: You know, it's funny. I, I had zero network locally uh, when I started in 2009 sure. as a real estate agent, because all of our business was in Southern Chester County outside of Philadelphia and in the state of Delaware in Newcastle County and Kent County. And then more recently in the 2000s, we were in North Carolina. So I had developed all of these contacts and all these builder relationships with, you know, uh suburban and ex-urban developers who are nowhere near Philly. I mean, you're talking, you know, the Route One corridor down southern Chester County from Tennant Square to Oxford. And then you're talking, you know, Delaware, or the Route One Superhighway Corridor that goes down to Middletown and Townsend and Dover and below. There's no crossover. To a local, you know, Philly builder. So when 2009 hit, I went, great, I've got a roll deck a full of, of great builder clients that I really, that served me nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'm not operating in those markets. I want to stay, you know, local and close to home, which is, um, you know, in the Philly area. So literally, I, um, I sat down one day with a friend of mine who was just um, in finance. And and he's sort of like uh, he knows everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. So I sat with Josh for two hours and I, I said, I want to know everybody that you knows, you know, and I took a yellow legal pad and I, I listened to him and I wrote down names and contacts for two hours of just everybody that he knew. And they were apartment developers, new construction builders, little guys, big guys, you know, companies, anybody and everybody. And then, you know, at the height of the recession 2009, nobody was hiring. And I knew that. So I literally called every person on that list and said, I'm not looking for a job. I just want to talk to you and understand where you think the market is and where you think Philly is heading from a development perspective. You, you hear me. And they said, great, come on in. We'd love to chat with you. So literally for the next six months, twice a week, I'd have interviews. And after six months, I knew everybody in the landscape. Wow, Mm -hmm.
0: sounds like how a lot of people start out, um, Mm -hmm. even though you weren't doing like traditional cold calling or something, you were still, you still have to go out and network with people. And that's the whole business of being a realtor. Um, So when you're brought in as an agent on one of these projects, how early are you brought in? And what's kind of the process? Do you help with Mm -hmm. pricing and design and those types of things?
2: I certainly have. uh, Depending on the project, Um, ideally you want to come in early because you you want, as a real estate agent, you want to be able to counsel the seller and say, "Hey, you know, here's where the property is located. This is what you're thinking of building. You know, hey, that's a good idea or it's a bad idea based on what sold recently, what the comps are, and that sort of thing." So the earlier you're in, the better. Conversation you can have about what the market is is lacking and where you know this project can make a difference. Um, So a lot of times it happens that way where I come in real early, really just in the planning stages. Other times though, um, I'll get a call or I'll reach out to somebody when the project has stalled and they haven't sold anything in nine months. And they go, "What like what can I do? I'm I'm floundering,"
1: Mm -hmm. and then it's
2: a, a very different conversation. Sure. about why we, we why they missed the boat and what we can do to plug the hole and get things running again
0: sure so that obviously presents like a lot of different problems with new construction it's a whole different animal than traditional buying and selling so mm-hmm. what are some of the the problems that come with listing new construction and selling that
2: right so new construction is a tricky animal um and i like to say that uh a, a good new construction agent will positively kill it in the resale environment, whereas a good resale agent uh, might not do as well in new construction. And the reason is simple. With new construction, you, you don't have another option if the, if the buyer doesn't like that house. With retail, resale, you can say, hey, okay, you don't like this house? We'll go down the block or you know, the neighborhood or whatever. We'll, we'll find what you're looking for. With new construction, that... One singular property has to fit with that buyer. And if it doesn't fit, it's a salesperson's job to explain why it does fit. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, y- you have to be able to, to um, convince a, a buyer that that new construction property is the best one. Um, so it, it requires a, a lot more um, preparation when you're a new construction agent. You have to know your product super well you have to know the floor plan well and walk through it mentally if it's not yet built, understand its strengths and its weaknesses. So if a buyer says, well, I don't like the way that laundry room is, you, you have to report immediately instead of being caught top- flat footed um, You have to know your competition a lot better. So when they say, well, you know, I think it's so expensive, you can say, well, but all the features that we're including for this price are lower at the end of the day than the competing project that's, you know, down the street because do all the you know, add-ons as a la carte, and then it's much more expensive. So you have to prepare a lot better and a lot when you're doing new construction. Um, and you really don't have a plan B if your buyer doesn't want to buy. So you have to convince them that it's worth the, the buy.
0: Sure. Yeah, I know I've, I've helped you out on the auto before, mm-hmm. um, which is a I I think it was 20 units on the first phase. And when mm-hmm. i walked into it it was like all studs i couldn't tell which was a one bedroom or a two bedroom and uh you just you came in you knew every layout where the kitchen was going to go everything mm-hmm. so it is a lot of preparation knowing to walk into a room with just studs and be able to paint that picture for the buyers Yep. you have you have
1: to be eloquent like Tom is with the <laughs> with the English language yeah uh, so uh, since since you uh, understand the problems in new construction mm-hmm. I'm gonna hold your feet to the fire let's talk about the let's talk about the auto brewery town you okay know, tell, us, tell us about the project and 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 also tell us what's happening in brewery town right now um, sure. you know it's actually I have to say before you go I love this project I it is one of the coolest buildings but I'll, I'll let you talk about it
2: uh, okay, so the auto uh, brewery town, autobrewerytown.com is uh, an amazing um, project of two large buildings that frame a central courtyard um, at 31st and Jefferson streets in brewery town. So it's an up and neighborhood. And there, I, before we started the project, there were no buildings of scale, new construction buildings of scale uh, in this neighborhood. Um, There are certainly lots of new construction There continues to be, but most of them are single row houses or small, you know, condominium projects where it's two or three units, you know, like a duplex or a triplex. So there is some audacity on the part of the developer to envision uh, a a project this grand. Um, It was broken into two phases. The first phase is 20 units, as as Matt um, pointed out. The second is 32 and the, the first phase is complete, the building is up, and we have two units remaining before we sell out. The second building is under construction, the uh, foundation is just going in now, so we're looking at deliveries a year from now. Um, and it, it, it's exciting because it offers a buyer a different type of lifestyle than they would get if they went with uh, a brand new row home. Because it's a large building, you have secure entry. It's elevated, so if you uh, have ADA um, needs, you don't need you don't have to deal with stairs. You can you can go straight in from the street and uh, go right to your flat without having to walk a stair. Um, there are some awesome forward-thinking features like keyless entry, uh, like a, a camera, you know, on the outside, so everybody has a video doorbell. There's a smart appliance hub with a touch screen on the refrigerator that syncs up to everything else in the house, uh, from the keyless entry to the Nest thermostat. You know, you can be at the grocery store and look at the app on your phone and get a, a picture of what's inside your refrigerator. So you can say, oh, gosh, you know, yeah, we're low on milk or whatever. Wow. Um, those are really neat features that nobody else in the market has. And the auto has them.
1: I love uh, there's one feature I like that you didn't mention and that's the Innies and the outies yeah uh, I mean th- just such a fun you know fun feature to talk about when you're when you're showing a new construction so, project
2: so Innies and outies um, every home at auto has a personal outdoor uh, terrace and the the two buildings are constructed such that they frame this interior courtyard so if your um, unit happens to face into the courtyard, meaning, you know, in, in, you know, where, where these two buildings sort of frame this courtyard, you have an Audi terrace and you, <laughs> the terrace extends out, you know, six or seven feet off the wall of the building. If your unit happens to be on the exterior of these two buildings that faces, you know, away in a different direction, then you have an any terrace and that outdoor space is actually undercover. You know by six feet or so so, th- so there is the innie and the outie <laughs> so I I think, think. It. yeah it's fun <laughs> um the laundry is also included with all of them so in-unit laundry with each with each home as well wow. as um, a shared rooftop entertainment area with you know kitchen and pergola and seating and uh, even a dog run which is great if you got to walk the dog late at night and you don't want to walk down the street you can go up to the roof and they can do their business
1: Exciting time. So um, I know that phase two is, is coming out of the ground now. Mm-hmm. Um, how, you, how are you going about selling that, you, you know, now that even though it's not built, like you know, right. can't walk people through?
2: So right now we're taking reservations for phase two um, with the idea that we'll go to agreement of sale at uh, the end of the summer. And, and people are coming in and they're getting the best pricing possible because it's pre construction or early construction. So we're marketing it just like that. You know, if you're looking for a longer term uh, delivery, you don't need something in 60 days, you know, you're know, you fine. You've got a lease that's going to go till you know, next summer or something. We're, we're the perfect project for you.
0: That's awesome. I think it's a great place to invest too. I think it's Brewery Town is really in the path of progress and over. I'm excited to see what will happen in the next five to 10 years there with all the commercial business that's coming in.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree with you. You know, um, Gerard Avenue on that section of Brewerytown very much reminds me of Frankfurt Avenue um, in Fishtown. You know, five years ago, yeah, we just turned in the corner where you've got a lot of cool independent stores that are popping up and um, are, are going to really feed that neighborhood as well as. The 31st Street corridor, which is not nearly as talked about as as Girard Avenue because it's not as dense commercially. But there's a lot of really cool little cafes and restaurants and things that are popping up there, along with um, the Aldi supermarket and the State Store, which is in the corner of 31st and and Girard.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm
2: -hmm. I think
0: I think it's a great investment. And Mm -hmm. so you were one of the founding members of Hal. you mentioned earlier. So how did you get into that? And what were the, um, the early days of the business like?
2: Hmm. So it's funny. Uh, Gary Jonas um, is the, the managing partner of, of all of HAL, the HAL Group, of all the umbrella companies. You know, he's, he's, he started it and really drives it. And Gary and I have known each other for 20 plus years because when I was in new construction in the 90s, he was in the mortgage business and he, um, you know, he was selling mortgages for us at model homes, at our model homes on a Sunday, you know? So we go way back. And I actually went to Gary when um, things were really tough in 2009. He was the first person I spoke with actually. And I just said, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm out of work. Sure. you will be fine. He goes, you'll be fine. And one day when the two of us are really, you know, have grown, we'll, you know, we'll meet up again. Yeah. And it was 2014 or so. And his sister Tracy, our partner, she um, was working at Keller Williams. And she and Gary both approached me and they said, look, we really want to start a brokerage because that's the one thing that Hal doesn't have. You know, we're now we're a good size development company. We've got a big property management arm. We've got, you know, a big construction arm, but we don't have a brokerage. And and they really sort of like it took a couple months because I was doing pretty well at another brokerage and um, didn't really want to break my stride. But um, but I I met with them several times and I really bought into their vision. And when we first started, how in September of 2015, it was me and Tracy and a third partner, John Kraus, and we just went, you know, we're, it's us against the world, and um, we just jumped in and started taking listings and just grew it. Jesse came on shortly thereafter and helped us just manage things, which was amazing because he gave us the ability to run and really work hard at. At developing business and generating new leads, and he just ran systems and and streamlined the process and made our lives really efficient. So it, it ended up being a great a great system. And and those early days of like you know scratching and clawing, you know, to get deals, um, you know, I look back with and go, oh my gosh, it's like another world, another lifetime.
1: Uh, I, have, I have to jump in here, Tom. Like some um, of my. I, I remember the early, like the 2016 days, so fondly because we were such a small, like we were a small tight knit group then. And mm-hmm. uh, our trip to Atlantic City just really stands out. We learned a lot on that trip, but like we really, it, we really bonded and it really created this uh, culture from that first, like that first outing that we had together. Yep. It was it was fantastic times.
2: Yeah, agreed, agreed. I'd say that's probably the, the thing that I value most and cherish most about the How group is our culture. We just do it the right way. And that's no lip service. I mean, I talk to a lot of people, you know, in a lot of different brokerages and in, frankly other businesses and very, very few have the same mentality of do whatever it takes, do the right thing, give back to the community be decisive. You know, compass is one of the few that has it. And that's why I think I was so attracted to them when we thought about, you know, initially merging with them, but I uh, love our culture.
0: Yeah. That was part of the reason why I came to Hal was because, mm-hmm. um, I really wanted like a smaller medium sized company that had a great culture and Hal like definitely does. Um, and they do a lot for the
1: community. So mm-hmm. it's really important. I wonder if they'll sponsor our podcast. What do you think? Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> <He> <laughs> For a sponsor. They might have to that before they ask. Ah, <laughs> On <cool>. video.
0: <laughs> so, Tom, you also invest in real estate yourself besides being mm-hmm. an agent. Um, can you tell us a little more about that and kind of yep. what you like to invest in?
2: Sure. Um, so my, my personal investment strategy is um, I, I share it with – Clients who are looking to invest in, in, you know, with similar product, of course. Um, so for me, it, investing is a numbers game. Meaning, I want to have a property that, and we're talking about rentals. I want a property that is going to have as as wide a um, cast, as wide an appeal as possible, so that as many people as possible would consider renting it um meaning i don't want you know a super high-end place that only a handful of people can afford i know that works for some of us it's not my my gig sure what i want is you know a property that's well located that's in good condition it's not too fancy it's practical It, it is going to appeal to a wide variety of people because I know that the more appeal my property has, the more likely I am to find a tenant, the less likely I am to have it vacant. And that's all it is. It's it's keeping it occupied and and keeping it cash flowing. So my advice is I'd much rather go after sort of the plain Jane property that has, you know, three beds, three baths in good condition, than is you know, the fancy. You know, one that, you know, has too many bells and whistles and, you know, is, is going to be really expensive and only a, a small segment of the market can afford to rent it. Yeah. That's my basic strategy. Oh,
0: right. yeah. I think when like we fall on hard economic times, people tend to move out of those A class properties that are super nice into the B class properties like you like to buy. So mm-hmm. there's only more demand when we fall on hard economic times, it seems. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Agreed.
0: So is it all single family or is it all multifamily that you like to invest in
2: most of it it's um, a good question I, I really am, I, I don't like single family houses per se
0: mm-hmm.
2: because I think that when you get to a certain size it there's um, a cap that you'll see on your rent um, meaning that if you're a, you know a four bedroom twenty five hundred square foot house you know you're going to get let, let's say on the main line you're going to get um, Three grand. Well, sure. if you're a six-bedroom house that's four thousand square feet, you're maybe going to get thirty-five hundred. It just you end up sort of capping out at a certain dollar range, no matter how big your property is. So now you have increased maintenance, you have increased taxes and upkeep if it's a larger property. So I like to keep the properties manageable and small. Sure. Um, I find that that um, duplexes are great. You know, triplexes are great in the city. I I also find that a smaller sort of manageable duplex in the burbs is a really good investment because you can max out how much rent you can get based on your square footage and you have less maintenance issues because you have a smaller property. So that's sort of like a sweet spot I like to go after. And, you know, I'm very strong on the eastern main line and, I, and there are pockets where I know like a handful of streets in Marion, a handful in Ballet, a handful in Ardmore. That I just know when properties come up on those streets, they're perfect because they're three beds, they're two baths, they're seventeen hundred square feet, and I can rent them all day long because, you know, a single parent who has a child that needs to be in Lower Marion or a divorcee, it's going to be ideal for them. And there's no sort of right. for that. So that's sort of how my my strategy plays out. Huh? You'll have
0: to tell me those uh,
1: those streets after the show, so I can I can hop on them. My pleasure. <laughs> so uh, what's interesting, you know, Tom, uh, we, we're have, we have you on the show because you're a successful real estate successful business owner. Um, that's, that's why we had you on the show. But the, uh, the, the question really is, you know, what is the most important thing that you can attribute your success to?
2: Um, honestly, showing up, just show up and do the work. You don't take shortcuts. I mean, obviously, you want to work smart and not hard. You know, I get that. But just do the freaking work. Get up and go to work. Yeah. You know, I get up. I, I like to say that poverty is a strong motivator. Yeah, It really is. Because, I, you, know, if I don't, you know, if I don't sell a house, if I don't close a deal, you know, I'm not eating. Sure. And, and that's, that's a very strong push. So get up, go to work.
1: Can you you say that again?
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Reverb feature.
1: (laughs) That's the end of the show. I didn't get that. Can you say it again? Just kidding. Don't say it again. (laughs) 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 All right, Tom. So we'd like to have
0: our guests ask us each one question. Um, So what would you like to ask
2: us? got it okay so my question is you know with with the disruption caused by the pandemic and covid this spring we you know as an industry put in place a lot of temporary measures so that we could continue to function and continue to sort of operate what once all of this passes which of those things that we put in place, do you think will become permanent in our world, in our industry?
1: I'll let you you go first, Matt. All right.
0: Um, I think definitely the implementation of the Matterport tour and the video tour is going to be like a staple now on every listing. Like it's definitely going to be a standard. And especially like I've been dealing with a lot of the rentals because I do the leasing for how to. and a lot of those people just go sight unseen, so I think a lot more people are going to start relying on those Matterport tours and those sorts of tools so that you can see a property sight unseen.
2: Mhm. Mhm. Got it. How about you, Justin?
1: So, uh, I was going to say the same thing, but uh, I'll take it one step further. Because Glad of I went that, first. Because then. of yeah, no, you're you're good. And uh, so, because of what Matt said, his brilliant answer. Um, we're going to be showing fewer homes to people, meaning I see the future of being a, working with a very motivated, very, very qualified buyer that looks at two to three homes max and is writing offers because (laughs) they're doing all the work up front. So you're having them do all the work up front. You're vetting the houses. So you're looking at the seller's disclosures. Mm -hmm. Um, you're not just running out showing houses because during, during shelter in place, it was dangerous to your health to go show a house. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: I still believe that interaction, many people will still have that. Um, uh, I saw it as, you know, that that anxiety, um, I forget what the term that I saw used, but it's reentry. Yeah. Reentry anxiety, Mm
2: -hmm. um, is
1: a real thing. I I talked to a friend this week. She is having legitimate reentry anxiety and she could potentially be a home buyer. And she right. and so I do see that as we're going to show fewer houses, but we will be more effective, and we won't be wasting time showing houses that you weren't going to buy anyway.
2: Uh, I love it. I love both those answers, and I, and I think that you're both correct. Um, they will that that will be a permanent change to how we do business. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Good. I like I them both. Short I love the it. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate it. And uh, where can people find out more about you?
2: So, the best thing to do is to, um, you want to learn a bit about me, is to log on to www.tomdilsheimer.com, just my name spelled out, Um, or give me a call, Uh, 610 389 1482 is my cell. pick up and and let me know what's on your mind you know for me it's important to listen first and understand what's important to you as a client uh before i i say much and and then once i understand what you know what the the goal is then we can get to work i
1: i do i do have to mention that he's a happily married man you know i know there's a lot of women (laughs) he may look good on video but he's taken he is a very <laughs> he's taken
2: right. Oh, uh, I, I also got to say, um, you know, certainly find my Instagram, uh, handle Tom Dillsheimer, real estate, uh, or Facebook as well. So. Awesome.
1: Fantastic. This yeah. was, uh, it was really good to learn more about you. I mean, I, clearly I know a lot about you, but it was, we learn mm-hmm. a lot every time you talk and, uh, you know, you're really appreciated. You are, you know, clearly, a, uh, a professional in this, in this industry. And anyone who listens will have learned a lot today, for sure. Oh, thank you.
2: Thank
0: yeah, you. for
1: sure. I love hearing about like how you made the jump into being a realtor and the
0: early days of the HAL Group. It's all awesome stuff.
2: Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on the show. And uh, yeah, I, I love what you guys are doing. Great stuff.
1: And, and you were the first, first one to ever get the real estate... Reaver
2: Yeah first and last.
1: (laughs) Great. All right, Tom, thank you. All right, thank you.
2: Have a great day. Bye bye. All
0: right everyone, thanks for listening. You can join us weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and YouTube. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps us out. You can find out more about me at callphillyhome.com, callphillyhome at Instagram, or email me at matt.talent at compass.com. And you can find out more about my co-host Jesse Johnson at howrealestate.com, Jesse Johnson on Instagram,
2: and email him at jesse.johnson at compass.com.